Welcome to Soul Rio, a church where God is made center, families made stronger, and lives restored. Today's sermon is entitled Family Participation, presented by Pastor Nick Evans on February 17th, 2019. A little over 300 years before Jesus was born, a man rose to power in Greece who became a great leader and a great conqueror. He unified Greece through some pretty brutal force and then he began to march east and he took over the Middle East. He marched into Egypt and took over Egypt and he marched all the way to India and took control of all that. This man's name was Alexander. We know him as Alexander the Great. If you don't know who I'm talking about, then please Google it, but shame on your history teacher. Uh, But Alexander, he he was a man that was feared, he was respected, um, but he, he expected a lot out of his men, out of his, his soldiers. It's told of him that one day after battle, he was holding court for those who had committed what he would consider crimes uh, in warfare. Different soldiers appeared before him and he condemned those, those men for cowardice and other things in battle. But one young man stood before him and Alexander was taken back a little bit by uh, this, this young man. Alexander himself was, was pretty young. But um, the man stood before him and Alexander said, what are you charged with? And the, and the young man said, cowardice, sir, cowardice in, in battle. I fled in the, in the face of the enemy. Alexander thought for a minute and he said, young man, what is your name? And he said, Alexander, sir. Alexander said, what? What is your name? A- A- Alexander, sir. Son, what is your name? Alexander, sir. And Alexander said, young man, either change your name or change your conduct. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would speak today. Father, I give this time over to you. Father, I pray that you would speak Through me, speak in me, and speak in spite of me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. 
This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now boy, that voice and that reading is far better than I would ever do. A few years ago, it's probably been about eight or ten years ago, uh, I, I quit reading the Bible. But I started listening to it. And that really changed the way that I saw scripture. Um, it just showed it to me from another side. Um, so when I, I have my uh, Bible readings, I often listen to the scripture instead of uh, reading the scripture. But uh, I like to, to, to use that when, when I speak, or I want to teach or preach. Um, because not only is it good for you to hear the word of God. You see in this, this time. Uh, yeah I'm the one that's talking. But I'm talking to me too. And to you. We're all here uh, for this message. We're all here to learn and grow from scripture. The scripture starts off. It says as a prisoner of the Lord. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What is the calling? Some people think of a calling as, well, he's been called to preach. He's been called to be a youth minister. Uh, others look at a calling and think, well, he's, his calling is being a teacher. Or, you know, different things. But we all have the exact same calling that's mentioned right here in Ephesians 4. What is that calling? That calling is a calling... To Christ Jesus himself. That's our call. To know him. To know him personally. And to make him known. And just like. Alexander a great. Commander. A great leader. We have far greater. Of a commander and leader. In that of Jesus Christ. Who has called each one of us. To him. And we are to live. Worthy. Of that call. I would imagine that probably every one of us. In this room at some point. In our Christian walk. Probably deserved a speech like Alexander gave to. His soldier. But it would go like this. What is your name? Christian. 
What is your name, young man? I'm Christian. I'm a Christian. Either change your name or change your ways. We have a name, Christian, little Christ. We're to live our lives as a reflection of that. That is our call. And Paul starts off saying, as a prisoner of the Lord. He was, he was stuck in prison writing this message. I urge you to live a life worthy of the call. Well, how do, we, how do we do that? How do we live a life worthy of the call? Of course, the first thing is to respond to the call. But it's outlined in the next verse. It says, be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's how we live out. That's how we show the worthiness of the call. What does it mean to be humble? Humble basically is not proud. You know, a lot of people think of humble as someone who's maybe doesn't have a good self-image or, you know, they're just kind of, oh, you know, you and, and just kind of, you know, I'm just a little person. I'm, but humble is, is not so much looking down upon yourself. It's not being so proud. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, and we'll see how Jesus... Uh, model humility. Philippians 2 verse 8 tells us and this is speaking of Jesus and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Jesus Christ completely God became completely man. He emptied himself, he let go of his godness and limited himself to the capacity of a human being. Yet he did that without sin, providing an example for us. Can you imagine your favorite president, whether, whether it's our current president, the one before him or one from a hundred years ago, taking on the job of janitor at the church or trash collector for the city. That's what Jesus did. He stepped from this high, high position to something very low. Um, Completely God, yet he humbled himself, threw away all all pride, and became man. Scripture tells us not only humility, but also being gentle. What does it mean to be gentle? I remember one of my children, I can't remember which one it was, I think it may have been Timothy, it could have been Christopher, but we had some guinea pigs, and remember them rubbing them, and we would tell them to be gentle with them, and they said, gentle, gentle, rubbing the guinea pig. Now, they weren't always gentle with them. I won't go into great detail, but they, well, one of them died because of them. But, um, <laughs> but gentleness is, is being not harsh. Um, 
How do we act not harsh? Well, let's look at another passage of scripture. Let's look at Titus 3 verse 2. Titus 3.2 tells us tells us I don't know why I wrote down Titus 3.2 because <laughs> that doesn't say what I was working so we'll skip that verse and go to Thessalonians 2.7 and hopefully I wrote down the right one this time uh, Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 2.7 Got to get it in the right place in my bifocals. There we go. But we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her children. A mother's care for a good mother and I hope you had a good mother. I had a good mother. I still do. Um, the gentleness of mom. Now sometimes it's turned around. Sometimes dad's the gentle one and mom's the one that's, that's more the stern one. In my family, she was the gentle one and I'm the stern one. So I had to, you know, to, to, to work to not be too harsh. But the idea here is, is, is with, the, with the love and tenderness that a mother has towards her children. That's how we need to be towards each other. Not harsh, not condemning each other, but gentle like a mother with her children. It says be patient. What is patient? Well, I know it's not what I am. Um, something I have to work towards. It is the ability to wait or to tolerate without being annoyed or anxious. You know, I've said for a long time um, that it is amazing to me how intolerant the so-called tolerant are of the so-called intolerant. And you can take that to be whatever it is. I'm sorry if, if, if that is, is offensive. But we hear a lot about tolerance in our society. But it seems like, it feels like to me that the ones that are Screaming tolerance seem to be the most intolerant of those who they call the intolerant. But patience is, is maybe you don't like something about somebody else or they haven't gotten to a certain point uh, in their walk with the Lord. But being able to... Um, just kind of wait just to deal with it without being anxious or annoyed about, about it. It talks to us about bearing with one another. What does that mean, bear with one another? I bet you've all heard the expression of bear with me just a moment while I, you know. I, that's kind of an expression of, of patience, but it, it reminds me of someone that I worked with um, who she was she was a, a, a gruff individual 
And at first, when I first started working around her, I, um, I was a little offended about by by the the gruffness and everything. But I stopped to to take the time to look at what she was doing and what she was really saying, and. I concluded that she really did have a, a good heart and she really did mean well and she contributed value to the team that we were on and um, I learned to to see the good in her to to bear with the rough exterior and let the the interior meaning well that was there to come out and to express itself so we need to bear with one another the things that we don't like about each other or um, the things that one person is not doing as well perhaps as they should to bear with one another to have a little patience to look over it to tolerate it and why why be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's all so that we can have unity. Now, what is unity? Unity is not uniformity. You know, it, some of you may have gone to a private school or something where you had to wear a uniform. And everybody looked alike. Um, that probably was the day when you could tell the difference in the boys and the girls because the girls had the skirts and the, the guys had the pants. But um, everybody kind of looks alike. That's not what we're talking about here, unity. Uh, it's being of one mind, of one spirit, going towards one goal. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter 3 verses 24 and 25 and we'll see a picture of what unity is not. It's Mark chapter 3, 24 and 25. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Unity is the opposite of division. And if we are not together as the body of Christ, then we can't, can't stand. You know, when Stephanie and I married, it was uh, in our hearts and minds and intention that the word, the D word, would never ever come up in our marriage. And I mean divorce. We would never, divorce was not an option and that worked real good and it was a real, real good theory for the first, I don't know, 12, 15 years. But after a certain period of time, the D word came up because we weren't unified. But we were smart enough. We had enough of the conviction of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts that we said we know better no matter how we feel. And so we did something about that. We went to a counselor and we talked out our differences and we became more unified. A family, a couple 
that is not unified cannot stand. They cannot stay together. Marriage is hard, hard work. Being the body of Christ is not much different than being in a marriage relationship. It is hard, hard work. We have to work at being unified. We have to use our minds to know better when our feelings tell us no way. That's what unity is all about. The scripture continues on and and tells us um, that there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all. Do you kind of get the picture? What the theme is in in, in, uh, those two verses? The theme is one. Okay? One. That's what unity is. is We are one. That's what the church is being called to here is to be one, to be unified. Paul continues and tells us that um, we've each received grace as Christ has apportioned it to us. And then skipping down just a little bit to verse 11, it tells us, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers... Some, some theologians will argue that the apostles were those early ones that, that Christ selected um, and we no longer have apostles. Some will even argue that the prophets were of similar cut of cloth and we no longer have those. I come from the school of thought that we do still have apostles and prophets and evangelists and, and uh, pastors and teachers. Um, what, what is an apostle? What does that mean? An apostle is a sent one. Who are our modern day apostles? Missionaries. Exactly. The apostles that we see in the New Testament... The Apostle Paul, we referred to him as, he was a missionary. He was sent out to preach the gospel and to start churches. Missionaries and church planters, those are our apostles. My wife and I were apostles for 10 years. We served 10 years with uh, the International Mission Board uh, of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, is Soul Rio Southern Baptist or Independent? I mean, just whatever. If you know, it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, I know Dan Lewis is the one that that, that organized this church, and um, and he was at First Baptist, a Southern Baptist church, and and so forth. Wherever it's gone, Baptist, not Baptist, whatever. That's not the point. Um, but getting back back on track here, uh, we were missionaries with the Southern Baptist Convention for 10 years we were called to be apostles for that period of time God released us from that calling after 10 years to, to do some other things um, but this these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers 
are not necessarily those who get paid for it. Um, because there are those out there who do these things and they don't get paid for it. So don't get calling and these um, type, <coughs> excuse me, types of, uh, of roles in the church as is, is being that. Um, but the apostles are missionaries. They're church planters. Prophets, it says. What's a prophet? Well, when we look at prophets in scripture, we kind of think prophecy and that's foretelling the future and things like that. And yes, prophets in uh, prophets, there is a, an element of that. But a prophet, <clears throat> a prophet is really more like a, a preacher. It, it's one that um, preaches a message, gives a message from God to his people. He uh, calls them back to, to the Lord when they stray. Um, but our, our modern day prophets, we would probably just call them preachers. So you could say Christ gave us missionaries and he gave us preachers to bring it to, to, to a way that, that we would look at it today. He gave us evangelists. What are evangelists? What, what word is right in the middle of the word evangelist? Angel. What's an angel? A messenger. And that's what an evangelist is. An evangelist is a messenger. Evangel is a messenger of the good news. Okay? So an evangelist is one who shares the good news. Evangelist might be a person that stands up and shares it in the form of preaching. Like Billy Graham did for many, many years. He was an evangelist. But an evangelist is also that man or woman that sits on an airplane and, and talks to Jesus, talks about Jesus to the person sitting next to him. Or that man or woman or, or a teenager that talks to the, their companion or their co-worker and tells them about Jesus. It's the good news. It's a share of good news. That's where my father's heart was. He was an evangelist. He would witness to anyone that would sit still and listen. And even some that wouldn't. I told the story at, at, at his funeral. And some of you may have been there to hear it. Where he was at a doctor's appointment. And this particular doctor was um, basically scientific. Not very religious at all. And... Um, he mentioned some things that were going on in his uh, in his life, and my dad said that uh, he would uh, pray for him. And at the end, he he stood by him and said, uh, "Well, let me pray for you about that." And he grabbed him and pulled him close and went into praying. And during the prayer, uh, the the doctor was just trying to kind of pull away from it, but that didn't stop him. And the world needs evangelists like that. I think of an evangelist as kind of like an obstetrician. They're the ones that bring them into the world. Okay? They deliver the babies. But we also need pediatricians too. And we'll talk about those in a minute. I consider myself more of a pediatrician. Um, do I evangelize? Yes. But do I evangelize in the methods and ways and amount that my father did, I could live a million years and never, never be the evangelist that he was. 
But evangelists are ones that share the good news. They share the gospel. Be it in front of a crowd, be it one-on-one. Evangelists share the gospel. Christ gave us pastors. What are pastors? Well, pastor um, comes from the word uh, shepherd. I mean, if you speak Spanish or know a little bit of Spanish, you know, el pastor is the shepherd, but he's, he's the shepherd of the flock. The pastor watches over the body of Christ and he cares for them and he ministers to them when they're sick, when some, they've had a death in the family, when they just need somebody to talk to, when the person needs somebody to pray for him. The pastor steps in and he cares for the people. Does a pastor have to be paid? No. Can a pastor be unschooled in theology? Absolutely. A pastor cares for the people. Cares for the body of Christ. And then teachers. So, some theologians will combine pastor, teacher. Um, I tend to separate the two because I think you could be both. I think you could be a combination of these. But uh, what does a teacher do? A teacher guides the student from ignorance to knowledge, from the not knowing to the knowing, from not understanding to understanding, from acting like a child to acting like an adult. That's what teachers do. Be it a teacher at school, preschool, kindergarten, elementary school, all and up teachers bring the uninformed to become informed. This is where I would um, probably equate this with the pediatrician, with the discipler. A teacher is the one that takes the newborn or the, the young and brings them to the next step in the Christian walk. Um, that's where my heart is, is, is discipleship and bringing the immature to maturity. When we were raising our children, we would get comments about things that our children would do or that we would do with our children. And I don't mean bad things, I mean good things. Once a month we had what we called family work day and that's exactly what it sounds like. Um, we had projects around the house, be it cleaning or doing something inside, be it going outside and raking up the leaves or cutting the grass or whatever it was. But once a month, everybody, all six of us, were required. And there were plenty of Saturdays that I didn't want to participate either. Um, but we were required to be out there and participate in the community that we called family and we had family work day that's how as a father as a mother we taught our children how to work but we also got that's how we got stuff done now they would complain and said but I don't want to do this and my response was I don't want to do it either why do you think I had children But a teacher takes one from little or nothing to something. In that time, people would make those comments about how do you get them out there working? We would all six be in the front yard getting something done. 
And people would stop. People we didn't know. They were absolutely amazed. My response was, we're in the business of raising adults, not children. We looked towards the end goal. What did we want our children to become? We wanted them to become adults, to be good citizens, to be loyal to, to, um, to be good citizens, loyal to our government, but loyal to God. That's what we were in the business of doing. A teacher, a discipler, is in the business of making spiritual adults. Ones who are responsible in their Christian walk. Ones who reproduce what they are. I, I'm so proud of my children when we have four adult children now. And every single one of them, we've heard compliments from many people. Even after they've gone out and been on their own about the kind of workers that they are. They're all hard workers. And you know I, I pat myself on the back a little bit for that. But I'm so proud of the choices that they made uh, to do that. But it makes me even more excited when I see them behaving like spiritual adults out there. And that that, that walk is there. Now, have they arrived? No. Have they got lots of growing to do? Absolutely. But just like we've seen their work ethic, we're seeing their adult spiritual ethic, work ethic grow, grow too. That's what a teacher does in the church. He gave us these. Why did he give us these? Well, it's in the start of verse 12. To equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach all unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness fullness of Christ. So God gave us these people, these people that are called to these roles so that the body of Christ may mature and be unified. Think of it like Coaches. Coaches aren't players. Now every once in a while on a softball team or something like that, you'll have a player coach or something like that. But when you look at college or NFL or something of that nature, you never see the coach out on the field running with the football, blocking somebody, passing the football, intercepting the ball. He's not doing any of that. I mean, for one, he's probably too old to do that. But the biggest thing is that's not... His job. His job is not to play the game. His job is to teach the, the players how to play the game. To guide the players to win. To advance the ball. To hit the ball over the fence. Whatever sport you want to compare it to. The coach is not the player. He's guiding the players. Teachers aren't students. Though teachers can learn in their, uh, in their own, especially in this kind of environment. I mean, it, we all should be growing in Christ from the day one of our spiritual birth up until the day of our, our death, our physical death. And teachers can learn in the process. But teachers aren't the students. 
Teachers aren't there for the teachers. They're not there to teach the lesson the way they like to teach the lesson. They're there to adapt themselves to the students and to guide the students to knowledge. Parents. I talked about that a few minutes ago about uh, my role as a parent in things that I've experienced. Though perhaps plenty of times during that process I acted like a child. I wasn't the child. I was the adult and I wasn't there to live the child's life. I was there to guide my children to maturity. That's what Christ has done. He has given us these people to equip the body of Christ for works of service. Now, some of you out there may be apostles. It may be that God is working in your life and really laying deep on your heart that you need to go somewhere and preach the gospel and start churches. It may be right here in in the city. This church may send you or some of you to to do such. I would say in a sense, Dan, when he he started this process and whomever was was uh with him was an apostle. I mean, he was a missionary over on this part of town to plant the church. So some of you may be apostles. Some of you may be be preachers. I hope that a lot of you are evangelists, if even just that much of an evangelist. And I hope some of you are, are pastors too, especially the ones that lead those groups that... Um, Jason was talking about up here, the, the groups that meet during the week. I mean, those, those leaders need, need to be pastors. They need to be pastors to their, their small flock, to care for them, to love them, to guide them. But all this was done for maturity of the body of Christ. So what is that maturity? Well, first I'll tell you what it's not. Down and starting with verse 14. It says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the uh, cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. What it's not. It's no longer, it's not being an infant. It's kind of like what I was saying a while ago about my kids I was in the business of raising adults not children I didn't want them to grow up to be children I wanted them to grow up to be adults it says not being tossed back and forth by the waves I remember back in it was 1985 and um, I was dating a young lady and her parents and my parents and she and I went out in her father's boat and we were out on the lake. And this was in the Panhandle of Texas. And if you know anything about that area of the country, the wind blows. Uh, The wind blows a lot. Sometimes it's calm, but then the wind comes up and um, it can get really, really strong. I... I envision that that area around that lake probably is kind of like the Sea of Galilee when we read about the storm coming up on the 
the lake and Jesus being out with his disciples. But we were out there, out in the boat, and a storm came up. And this boat, I don't know, it was 14, 16 feet long max. It wasn't a big boat, big enough to pull a skier. Um, but boy, the wind came up and it came up just like that. And the waves, I've never seen waves that big on a lake. I mean, those waves had to be six feet from trough to crest. And that boat was just all over the place. And if I remember correctly, the two moms were on the beach. Am I remembering it right? You and Rita were on the beach. Is that right? All right. So my dad, her dad, she and I were out there in this boat. And I'm sure the moms are just going crazy with terror on on the shore. Uh, It was so strong. I mean, like it, it blew picnic basket and other things around I mean it was it was just absolutely incredible and um, it was it was kind of frightening now being a young adult and thinking I was immortal it was probably not as frightening to me as it was to my parents and and her parents but that little boat was tossed about and it, it would get up to the crest of the wave and that the the motor would come up out of the water and you'd hear because the propeller wasn't in the water and we had absolutely no control but by the grace of God we made it to the shore and and got out of there and got safe until it calmed down and we could could leave the lake but that's kind of the picture of being tossed about by the waves no control just something else is in control that is that is not what this unity is about um, you may be wondering what this stuff is up here. I hope you are. I was hoping it created a little bit of curiosity leaving it up there. But a few weeks ago, I found this in, in my uh, driveway. And it's a, it's a flyer for uh, all kinds of stuff. I mean, this person must be an expert in everything because it goes from spraying pesticide to yard work to um, retaining walls to all kinds of stuff. Um, but the picture here, continuing in, in, in the verse, is about being blown here and there by every teaching and, and, and doctrine. That's how cults start. You know, the people, those of you old enough to remember uh, Jim Jones and, and uh, the situation down in, in South America when they went down there and drank poison Kool-Aid and uh, seven, eight, nine hundred people died... Those people were blown about by, by false doctrines and, and teachings and were susceptible to such. And God wants us not to be that way, not to be susceptible to such. See, this flyer here, all by itself, you get much of a wind. And where I live, where I got this, is out near Sandia Labs. And the wind that comes through that canyon when it picks up, that's some pretty strong wind out there. But the person who delivered it was, was pretty ingenious because what they do? They put rocks in a bag and put the flyer in the bag. Now, granted, I'm sure there's wind strong enough that it would move this, but your average wind, this isn't going anywhere. That's kind of the picture here. It's so that we're not blown about by every teaching of doctrine, that we have an anchor, we have a, something to hold us in place and stick with it. 
That's why Christ gave us these, these people. Well, what is it? The last two verses. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Speaking the truth in love. What is love? When we first started dating, when we were first married, love words was those mushy feelings. Probably that biological stuff going on and, and hormones in there that made us just feel all crazy about each other. And that's still there, but it's not quite the same as it was. 30 years ago. But what is love? See, love is acting in spite of how you feel. It doesn't matter if you feel good and mushy or if you're really angry and upset. Love is acting in the right way in spite of how you feel. Speaking the truth in love, that's not like taking the opportunity when somebody misbehaves in the church or whatever to, to get to diss them, if that's still a, still a term. I'm not hip anymore, but um, it's not the chance to, well, I'm just, you know, I just love you and I'm, I'm just saying this. When the intent is not anger, or the motivation is not anger, but you really are deeply concerned about the other one, and you speak what needs to be said in spite of how you or the other person feels, that's speaking the truth in love. What does it lead us to? It leads us to maturity, to unity. This is an apple. Catch. Is that an apple? We verify that? All right. Throw it back. All right. So it's an apple. He's confirmed it. So if I'm lying to you, blame it on him. (laughs) This is a carrot peeler, but I'm using it for a different purpose here. This is a really sharp knife. Now, is that an apple? It's still an apple. But um, in our way of speaking, to tell someone to hand me that apple over there when it looks like that would be a bit odd. My microphone. It'd be a bit odd. It'd be a command would be more like uh, get the cutting board with the with the apple parts on it or something. Yeah, it's still an apple, but it's it's really divided, and it'll never look like that apple we saw a few minutes ago.
Disunity in the church is a lot like that. You can tell that it's an apple. And logically, you know it's, it's an apple. But it's divided. And it's a mess. That's what disunity does in the church of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be unified. The, the emphasis that um, Floyd told me about uh, for this sermon, I asked Floyd, you know, are, you, are you in any kind of series that you want me to follow? Is there a particular passage of scripture that you would you know, like me to, to preach from? Or do you want me to just prepare and, and come and preach? And so he, he told me about the series that you've been going through and gave me this passage of scripture. And so the point is, what does all this mean for me? What does this mean for the body of Christ? What does this mean for Sol Rio? Well, you might not be called to be an apostle. You might not be called to be a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. Though you may be. But God has those people in this church. And they're here to unify the body of Christ. But they're to unify and to teach the body of Christ for what? So that each and every one of you are equipped for the work of the ministry. You know what that tells me? That every single one of us have an active role in this church. There's no place to park it and listen. Experiments have been performed with, with frogs. And it's been a proven fact that if you take a frog and put that frog in warm hot water, warmer hot water, um, I mean even the temperature of a hot tub, what we get in for relaxing, if you put him in there, he's going to get out just as fast as he can. But if you, you put a frog in comfortable water in a pot and put it on the stove and turn the heat on and just ever so gradually turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, that that water can reach boiling and that frog will die in that pot, never feeling, never knowing the difference. And that's what happens to the body of Christ when... We aren't all in an active role doing the work of the ministry. We get so accustomed to status quo. We get so accustomed to whatever. We become susceptible to the, just the, the, whatever teachings come out. And we end up just like that frog in the kettle. Dead. So what I want to leave you here today is. Don't be the frog in the kettle. Be active in your faith. Exercise the works of the body as part of this body. Don't be the cut up apple. Be the unified apple. Be the body of Christ in this community. Okay? I'll give it to you. and pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for today.
God, I thank you for the message of unity, God, that you've, you've given us. God, we thank you for um, the willingness, God, of your people to listen to your voice, God, and uh, to obey. God, to, to reach those in this world who are lost. God, I pray um, that we would take up our cross daily, God, and we would just follow you with our whole hearts, God, that we wouldn't just be um, comfortable, that we wouldn't um, be sitting in that pot just um, enjoying our time and, and not realizing the importance, God, of our, our action, our, our steps, God, in following you uh, with the church that we make an impact, God, for you. And that, God, we would be obedient. And that we would follow you. We would be obedient in love, God. That we would show um, the love of Christ. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this message. I pray you just... Help us to meditate, God, on these words uh, and what what it is that you want us to uh, walk away with. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we pray you were blessed by today's message. You're invited to worship with us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. For directions and information about Soul Rio and our weekly events, please visit our website at soulrio.com. You may also contact us by phone at area code 505-792-8737 or email us at info at soulrio.com. At Soul Rio, we're a community of followers of Jesus Christ, committed to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope to our community. We invite you to go with us on this journey.